This is Cruise Radio. Now more than ever, you should consider trip insurance for any kind of trip you take, not just cruises. Get a free quote at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. And happy Thanksgiving if you're listening to this on November 24th for our friends here in the U.S. Happy Thursday if you're listening outside of the U.S. Richard Sims is here with Cruise News, so we're going to jump right to that first. Hello, Richard. Hey, Doug. How are you? Good, man. It's been a long time. I know. Well, you know, you've been at sea for a long time, so welcome back. Thank you, thank you. Jumping right into the news here. Diamond Princess returned to service for the first time since the shutdown. Why is this such a big deal? This is a big deal because you may recall that the Diamond Princess was sort of the face of COVID and became sort of, you know, the thing that everyone associated with cruising. Now, if you there are some really good documentaries out there that you can watch about this that really sort of illustrate that the problem was less to do with the cruise ship itself than the way it was the situation was handled with keeping everybody on board and not, you know, not letting them off so that they could, you know, prevent the inevitable spread that happened when they were kept on board under these ridiculous circumstances. But, you know, the Diamond Princess has not sailed since then. And it's funny because when you think about it, I actually assumed that we were sort of done with the quote-unquote return to service stories because I thought basically everything had returned. But this is the last in the Princess fleet to return. And it is, you know, I, I think it's because it became the face of COVID, I think that does sort of make it a bigger story than a lot of the other returns that we've covered because, you know, this is sort of saying, okay, let's put this behind us. You know, this is, this is it. We are, we are done with this. Hopefully let's move on from here. I, I was surprised it even made it back into service because like, remember when Carnival Triumph had that incident in 2013 and they, a couple of years later, they converted it to Carnival, what was it? Sunrise, I think. Like, yeah, it was. And I really wondered the same thing. I didn't think that, you know, if you remember when they did Sunrise, they sort of did a pretty massive renovation of it at the same time. They put in mm -hmm. a dry dock and added a bunch of features and things. I didn't think they would do that with the Diamond Princess. But I did wonder if they would use this as an excuse to, like, you know, make one or two small renovations and then roll her out with a different name. Um, because, you know, sometimes that's <laughs> that's all you really need to do is change the name and maybe slap a little paint on something. And, you know, we went on you and I uh, went on Sunrise not long after it was rolled out, and it was an amazing trip. We had a great time. And I don't think I heard anybody during the entire trip mention the poop cruise, you know, which is right. what Carnival Triumph kind of became known as. So I really thought that they would at least change the name here. But no, they're like going whole hog and, and the ship is back. Now, I've missed out on a lot of stories being gone over two weeks here. So it looks like Royal Caribbean is changing up the menu and they're claiming they're changing the menu to help speed up the service. So what's really going on here? Yeah, this is a really interesting story. So um, they are doing this on Symphony of the Seas and they are 
testing it on that ship and they say that they will listen very carefully to reader feedback and stuff like that. But basically what they've done is they've pared down the menu. Um, like they've gotten rid of sort of the classic section and there are fewer choices and you're right. That is, um, you know, we were reading at the Royal Caribbean blog. They were saying that one of the reasons they were doing this was to speed up service. Now, I don't really understand that. Does that mean that they think people are taking too long reading the massive menu when they sit down? And, you know, by giving them fewer choices, that means they'll order quicker. It, it That just sounds like, frankly, that sounds like kind of hogwash, uh, to use the nice term for it. The other thing they're doing here, and this does not surprise me, is if you want to order a second lobster, it, you can do that on lobster night, but it will come at a price of $16.99 plus the 18% gratuity. This is sort of in line with what we've seen on some of the other cruise lines that have begun, like, for example, Carnival saying, you know, you want one entree, fine. You want two entrees, fine. You want a third entree, we're going to start charging you for it. And part of this is to cut back on food waste, and part of it is, obviously, you know, the, the, the lines are looking for ways that they can sort of make up some of the money they lost during that long period that they were shut down. The the thing here will be, will they, I, I mean, they say that they will listen to the feedback. Royal Caribbean says, we will listen to the feedback. We'll make decisions on how to move forward on this after this test. I can tell you right now what the feedback is going to be. <laughs> you know, the feedback is going to be, we don't like this. You know, no cruisers are going to like praise you for taking away choices and using a lame excuse like that. So will they, in light of that inevitably negative feedback, still decide to move forward and roll this out across the fleet? Or will they sort of say, you know, maybe on second thought, this isn't the best idea. It's It does make a huge difference. I mean, when you cut out a lot, from a cost point of view, the more items that you cut off the menu, the easier it becomes to sort of deal with your supply chain and your food costs become lower because you're not ordering as much that might go to waste because it's maybe it's a dish that people don't order a lot of. I think they could have done a slightly different approach here. I think they might have been, had better luck had they gone with the same route that Norwegian just went. Because you'll remember, we were talking about this a few weeks ago, that Norwegian Cruise Line on Prima has rolled out in, in a similar fashion, has rolled out a new menu. It's a set menu. It doesn't change every night. Um, it has, you know, a fairly decent amount of options, but it doesn't do the thing they did before where every single night is a different menu. And that, again, is a way to sort of cut down your food supply and cut down on how much you need to order. And But I think the way that Norwegian sold it was, you know, hey, we know you're going to eat in specialty restaurants every now and then, so we're making the whole thing a little simpler in the main dining room. I think that was a better, cho better choice and a better way of approaching it than Royal's approach of, yeah, we're trying to speed up dining times by taking away some of your options. I just don't think that was a good marketing approach. I mean, I see where Royal Caribbean said they're going to start using uh, cold water lobster now instead of the the Florida or Caribbean spiny lobster, which I guess like I think the what the main lobster is a little more sweeter, I think. But um, it's all though it's just all weird to me. Like there's like these changes and then it's like we're doing this change to justify the other change, you know? I have to admit, you are the lobster expert here, because as you know, I'm not a big fan of lobster. I think that lobster 
basically doesn't taste like anything unless you dip it in butter and then it tastes like butter. So you might as well just drink the butter and <laughs> skip the lobster entirely. But um, so what is the difference between a Maine lobster and a, would you say a cold water lobster? Well, a Maine lobster and a Florida lobster pretty much. And oh, I know the Maine sorry. one is sweeter just from the times we've been to Canada, New England, and we've had like the lobster rolls and or I have uh, up there and you know, being a Floridian and going down and lobstering and snorkeling for them, you know, during the summertime, they're not as sweet as cold water. So I don't know if a listener knows that Doug at cruiseradio.net. We'd love to get your feedback on that. MSC Cruises has dropped pre-cruise testing requirements on U.S. sailings. Which is something that basically everyone has done now. MSC was just sort of the last to do it. At the same time, we're actually seeing some of the old protocols roll out again in markets overseas. For example, um, we're hearing more and more reports about masks being required on ships that are sailing out of places like Australia and New Zealand, including on some of the Carnival and Princess ships that sail from those ports. So even as MSC becomes the last one to sort of deal with that remaining uh, problem of vaccinations – then we're seeing other places kind of go in the opposite direction. What will, of course, happen is we'll have to wait and see how the next few months play out as far as the various variants out there and, you know, booster shots and all the rest of it. I, I don't know. It's a, I think it's a really unpredictable time. And I think, you know, not too long ago, there was the ship that came back with a, you know, what, seven, 800 cases of COVID on it. And that was an unusual case. We haven't heard about things like that really since the shutdown. I will want to be keeping an eye on that to see, do we hear more and more of that? Because if so, then as we have said from the very beginning, these are protocols that could easily be rolled right back into place if need be. And, you know, I know people are not going to like that. Nobody wants to hear like, you know, that masking might come back or that you might need vaccines again. Nobody wants to hear that. But from my point of view, if it means that we continue to keep sailing, if it means that we get to continue to have these awesome trips, then, you know, do what you need to do to keep us safe and keep the industry going. Gosh, I hate to see this story. It looks like one cruise line brought back the old school mustard drill. I'm not surprised by this, to be quite honest. I wondered as it was happening as they were introducing the new muster. I love the new muster system where you basically like, you know, look at your phone, run to a muster station and they like, you know, tap you on the head twice and send you on your way and you're done with the muster drill. As opposed to that thing, we have to wait for everybody to get to the muster drill and you stand around or if you're lucky, you sit in a dining room and you wait and wait and then they finally do that drill. I am definitely, definitely a fan of the more modern drill, but I kind of suspected from the beginning that this might be a temporary thing. And of course, as with all of these situations, here's why. There are always those people who ruin it for everyone else. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, I don't think it has been particularly well enforced. I was recently on a ship where um, they did basically no muster drill. They, they like tapped our card and yes, you're supposed to watch the drill on your television or on your smartphone, but 
there's no real way of making sure people do that. Like you can turn on the TV and then walk away, you know? Um, whereas when you go to the muster station, you may be bored out of your mind, but you do have to sit there and listen to the actual live human being telling you, you know, the whole drill and how to put on your life jacket. And as much as we may hate the return of that kind of drill, I think it's important to remember that it really is for our safety. I, I kind of feared that what might happen was that someone might, you know, there might be an incident of some sort, which there hasn't been, but there could be an incident of some sort. And one of those, you know, ambulance chasing, cruise chasing lawyers would come down the pike and say, oh, it's because they no longer do the correct muster drill. That could have been prevented had they been doing that and try and sue a cruise line for like $10 million, that kind of thing. In any case, the in-person muster drills have already returned on Disney. They basically have it across their fleet now. We've also been hearing reports that um, they may be doing it on some of the NCL ships. For example, Emma Cruises, who um, you know, is a very popular blog was recently on Norwegian Sun, and she reported that they did it on that ship. They did the old-fashioned, everybody-stand-outside muster drill. So we may be seeing more of this in the future. I'm hoping against hope that that's not true. I really, really, really would love to see them stick with the uh, more modern drill, but we should be prepared that it's probably going to go the other way. Carnival Celebration is finally christened in sailing. Yeah, so she came across the ocean on her transatlantic, landed in Miami, and they had the big naming ceremony, which was, um, uh, we were able to watch it on online. They actually streamed it, which was very cool. It let people who weren't able to attend the ceremony actually, you know, kind of feel the next best thing to being there. Cassidy Gifford became the godmother, and this was cool because she is, as most people know, the daughter of Kathy Lee Gifford, and of course, Kathy Lee, for many, many years, was the face of Carnival Cruise Line. She wasn't just a godmother to a ship. She was actually in their advertising campaigns. And I think for a lot of people, you know, when they heard that song, um, if they could see, if my friends could see me now, they thought of Kathy Lee. They thought of cruising and they thought of Carnival. So in a way, she was not just the face of Carnival. She was the face of cruising. It was a great event. Um, cool in the gang performed. And they, of course, sang the song Celebration. How could they not? And uh, I am told the party went late into the night. And I believe you were there for all of that, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't think I was going to know any Cool in the Gang songs except the Celebration song. But, you know, Get Down on It, like things like that. That was a that was a pretty fun concert. It was, yeah, we were on board till almost midnight. That's like when you and I were on one of the ships and Carrie Underwood was performing. It was the, was it the Vista maybe? Yeah, it was. And, uh... And we went to, they, they put on a show for us. And, and, and I remember saying, uh, Carrie Underwood, I know like one song that she does. And then every single song she did, I was like, oh, I know this song. <laughs> yeah, turns out, you know, more than you think, you know. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a great concert and it was a good way to, to cap off an exciting event. I just thought it was cool too, just being like right on the fringe of remembering those Kathy Lee Gifford commercials vaguely like a, on Saturday morning cartoons. So it was cool watching her perform this song in real life. Yeah, I, it was fun when they started performing the song. She was not on stage. She was sitting in the audience. And I was like, oh, please, you've got to have Kathy Lee come up and sing. And when she came up, I just I'm not going to lie. I got like a little excited. I got goosebumps because it just really did sort of play into the memories, which is really what celebration is all about. You know, the the the, the ship is 
in was rolled out for the 50th anniversary of Carnival, and everything about the ship is sort of a celebration of their place in cruise history. So not only were you at the naming ceremony, you actually got to do the transatlantic. So you were on it for, you know, what, 12 days. You got to really get to know the ship. And I have a couple of questions for you about some of the venues. So last year I was really, I fell in love with Mardi Gras. I just thought it was a great ship. Celebration is obviously the sister to the ship, but the one thing that they've really changed there is where they had the French Quarter on Mardi Gras. They have a completely different um, sort of setup there. Tell me a little bit about that, and what did you think of it compared to the the French Quarter? Yeah, so that area, the Gateway Zone, it was the French Quarter, a lot different. Uh, start, let's start like when you walk on board the ship. There's that Rolls Royce that came off Carnival Ecstasy from their promenade by the coffee shop. That's right mm-hmm. there, also by the coffee shop on Celebration, but right under the entrance where it says Gateway, which is your gateway to travel. Just think of it like that. Um, so when you walk past that uh, Porsche or uh, Rolls Royce, rather, then you walk in and there's the Golden Jubilee Bar, which has a lot of history from past Carnival ships. There's the um, there's coins like from all the ships on the ground, like kind of uh, welded or sealed into the floor. There's a big 12 foot model of Carnival Celebration in the Jubilee Bar, which is awesome too. And it's to scale, came from the shipyard, which is really neat. Um, just different things inside that bar that have come from past Carnival ships, you know, going back from the Mardi Gras to even the tables from Carnival Fascination uh, are in the Golden Jubilee Bar as well. So there's a lot there. Um, not the, the Golden Jubilee Bar isn't as large as it is on Mardi Gras, where it's called the Brass Magnolia, and that's because they actually made the main dining room larger, um, and they added an extra section, and that extra section had to come from the Golden Jubilee Bar. What about the other bar that's like a little further down that has that um, flipboard that looks sort of like something you'd see in Penn Station? Yeah. That looked like, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, that's sort of in the area that um, the Fortune Teller bar was in. But it looks like it's a little bit bigger than that space was. And now, for me personally, looking at the photos, it didn't feel as well-themed as sort of some of the French Quarter stuff. But what was it like actually being in there? Did, did you get a sense of what it felt like? So if you remember the French Quarter, Richard, it was kind of a, a dark and eerie feeling because it was supposed to be, right? The fortune teller bar. This is a lot, uh, it's more airy than it was. So they have those virtual uh, windows up there that kind of have a show throughout the day. So it really brightens up the space. And they also took the LED funnel things throughout the promenade there on six and made that made them just more curvy and lighted poles. So it really opens the space up a little bit, but the, the, uh, the latitude bar that has that, that flip departure board, which is just based on random when it's going to flip and what it's going to say. Um, it has probably 40 different countries on it and it's got a specialty drink from each country. So like Singapore sling is on there. Um, for Italy, it's Aperol Spritz, um, just a bunch of drinks uh, representing each country. And it was a really popular bar. I mean, next to the Alchemy Bar, that would probably be number two, I would say. And more seating, too, because if you remember on Mardi Gras, it's kind of flipped because the bar was against the wall more towards the midsection of the ship. 
And this bar is actually on the, I guess it would be considered the um, starboard side. And there's actually seating behind the bar as well. So the bar is a big rectangle with seatings on both sides and bar stools along the whole rectangle. So there's just a lot more seating. And I was talking to the ship designer, Glenn, and he was telling me that there's a lot more spaces that have more alcoves, more seats. Um, the Punchliner Comedy Club has 30 more seats than on Mardi Gras. Um, they changed the stage configuration on um, in the Brass Magnolia, which is the Golden Jubilee bar on this ship, because the line of sight wasn't that good uh, at the Golden Jubilee or at the uh, Brass Magnolia. So they moved the stage and everything within that. So there's a lot of changes from the ship to ship, but it's not, they're subtle changes. They're not like very um, like, oh my gosh, this is so much different. Were there any other areas of the ship that you noticed like specifically different from Mardi Gras? I mean, it just, this ship just feels brighter all over. Like if you remember Mardi Gras in the six, seven, eight area, which is the celebration central on celebration, um, there's like confetti, um, lighted confetti all over the ceiling. Like we're celebrating. Whereas I think it was led on Mardi Gras. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, other than that, everything else is the same, man. Same amount of pools, same amount of uh, restaurants, the same thing. Like the guy's smokehouse is complimentary, and so is Cucina for lunch and dinner. Um, Am I right? They also have, like on Mardi Gras, they have an Emeralds on here, which I thought was interesting since Emeralds was really tied to the you know Mardi Gras New Orleans theming. Um, but I guess they have uh, an Emeralds outlet on this one, too. Yeah, I was, in fact, I was, when I was boarding the ship the other day, Emerald was in front of me going through security, and he kept making the thing, uh, the buzzer beep. So he's like having to keep <laughs> taking stuff out of his pockets because he had his like his chef's coat and all this because he actually later that night christened or uh, cut the ribbon rather at his restaurant on board. But they added, um, it seems like they added more seats in that area. Now, the designer told me they didn't. So maybe it just feels like that because it's a lot more open than it, than it is on Mardi Gras. But solid meal there too man like i think i think uh, three mornings after breakfast in the main dining room we had a second breakfast at emeralds with their um banana crepes and uh their sweet potato waffles i'll tell you emeralds was one of my and mardi gras was for me an absolute revelation as far as just I, i loved almost everything about that ship i was i was just so impressed with it. But Emeralds stands out as, you know, I went for dinner when you could just like sort of pick all the different things on the menu. I mean, it's it's a four-fee restaurant, so you're paying for each item you pick, but it wasn't expensive. Everything was really reasonably priced. And one of the things I loved about it was that, you know, Emerald is known for his spices and the whole bam thing. And I was worried that when they transferred that onto a ship, they might sort of water the spices down because, you know, sometimes you don't, you realize that you're sort of feeding a large mass audience mm-hmm. and that they, that a lot of them are not going to like overly spiced food. So I was worried that emeralds might do that, might sort of like tame it down a little bit. And they didn't, you know, like there was, there was real punch and real pow. And I, I think I ate there two, three times in my sailing on that yeah. ship. It was just a real, it was a real treat, a really fantastic addition to the carnival family. Oh, and I will say this too, before we hop, um, I did get to ride Bolt on a beautiful sea day. The other couple times I've ridden Bolt, we've always been in port. Doing it on a sea day is next level. 
incredible. I did it twice on sea days and you're right. It's, I mean, it's exciting no matter where you are, but when you're in the middle of the ocean and you know, you look to your left, you look to your right and all you see is water everywhere. It's pretty intense. It really does ramp up. Did you keep your finger on the button to uh, keep yourself boosted the whole time? Not only did I do that, um, Per the entertainment guy up there on the very last sea day, I have the ship's record going around twice at 42.33 seconds. Wow. Congratulations. That's pretty impressive. I mean, I'm do you a, get, do you get a prize for that? No bragging rights. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm 175 pounds. So I'm sure, some sure little 90 pound kid's going to go on there and beat the heck out of my score. But well, I would think actually the heavier, well, no, no. I don't know, maybe because heavier you would get more speed going like down the hills. I don't know. I don't know. It's an it's an experiment we'll have to try sometime. I didn't realize you were so into physics. Uh, you know, I am. I am. I failed it twice, but um, I think I walked away from it knowing more than the teacher thought I knew. Before we go any more off the rails here, let's wrap this thing up. So any last final thoughts on uh, Celebration? I guess I was on board with uh, close to 5,000 people and... There wasn't any crowds whatsoever. I think they finally got it with adding the extra seats and the different the different alcoves and the booths at the end of the alchemy bar and all this. I, I think that they learned a lot from Mardi Gras, brought it on to celebration, and it was all for the better. Well, I'll tell you this. I think the best way to end this is by pointing out that you had the great fortune of not being on the first official cruise out of Miami, which had 1,500 kids on it. Yeah, we had 77 under 18. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big difference there. We've been talking with staff writer Richard Sims. Richard, thank you as always, and happy Thanksgiving, buddy. Thanks to you too, Doug, and all the listeners. Have a question or a comment for the show? Yeah! Send an email or voice memo to Doug at CruiseRadio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast, or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.